welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters. We've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorne, and I'm joined by... Tony. Puff the Magic Dragon lived by the sea and frolicked in the autumn mist in a land called <laughs> that is where we're going today so that is puff the magic dragon is that who's the who's the band who does that again uh, I don't know who originally did it, but I mean, Peter, Paul, and Mary made it very, very famous. I thought they were the ones who made it, actually. But yeah, yeah, Peter, Paul, and Mary. That's famous a great question. Who exactly wrote it? I do not know, but yeah. Peter, Paul, and Mary was the big, uh, they were they were the most well-known. I always assume they just invented it. That's very possible. I just want to know how many hit dice Puff has. I think it depends on how yeah, much like it's for the fight. Yeah, I got a lot of damage resistance from that. Yeah, it's like, 11, I would say. not... Like, he's not chromatic, necessarily, right? I mean, he's green, but he's, he's not, like, green. evil green. He's like a fey dragon, you know? I mean, green is a color. He's not, like, jade. Yeah, it, that's a that's a interesting... I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole we're going to have to re revisit later. So just so we know, too, Peter Yarrow was at least half of the lyricist team. So Peter Yarrow and Lenny Lipton. But Peter Yarrow was the Peter... Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary. So, so he so did they, write. Yeah, they at least partly wrote the song, and All then right. superly so, popularized it. So this is from Peter, Paul, and Mary, and tonight that makes a ton of sense, uh, coming from Dave, the rock and roll DM there. But tonight we're going to talk about dragons. Are your dragons like Puff the Magic Dragon? Are your dragons just big dumb monsters that show up? How do you run them? How do you use dragons in your D and D game where? Dragons is actually in the title, probably the most iconic monster in the game. So we're going to talk about tonight, how we use dragons in our various campaigns. And guys, yeah, what do you think? I mean, what do you see dragons as in your games? A dragon can have a lot of range, depending upon its age category. So are we talking about, is this some epic ancient creature that is literally woven into the fabric of your story it's that boss you build up to after a lifetime of adventuring, or is this a mildly hard encounter you happen to run into because you run into a hatchling? Because those are two different scenarios entirely. Mildly hard dragon encounter. That actually offends my sensibilities. Sure, it doesn't. So it's just a dragon wormling, and you're just uh, committing genocide. Right. That's well, what here, here, here is a myth-busting fact. Dragons actually come in different age categories other than ancient and adult there are these other <laughs> ranges floating around yeah if if your party wants to go out there murdering wormling children i mean come on if you're a child yeah, where is your honor <laughs> it makes it me was... think of the meme when uh it makes me think of the meme that goes around that like you kill like the orc who has the and you find a potion on him and you find a note uh, talking about Daddy, I hope you find the potion that will help me through my sickness and stuff, you know? And, like, so you've literally, like, the guy was out at the apothecaries and you just assassinated him on the roadside. You just married the was... good father orc. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think, though, with, with dragons, now, I'm going to be very general here. So please don't come at us with a lot of hate mail or anything like that. I understand there are more than usual. Right, there are there are infinite fantasy realms with dragons in them. But for my mind, 
I think you're literally going the two extremes that are the most present for us that most people are probably basing most of their dragon campaigning or game sessions on is either smog from Mount Erebor in The Hobbit, mm. right? Or Tolkien or Game of Thrones and the Mother of Dragons. So you have these wildly hyper intelligent spell casting, possibly ancient forces of nature or these really large kind of magically created but beasts of burden in the way that the mother of dragons dragons were in game of thrones and i think that's generally the two uh the, that's the pivot point that most people are probably pulling dragon lore from you see uh, for me and with years and years of dungeons and dragons under my belt i actually feel like my dragons tend to be a little more involved than even smog because mm -hmm. smog is mm -hmm. hard to come to but smog doesn't really have a whole lair full of traps and stuff. It's just smog on his pile of gold. And if you try to steal something, he kills you. You know, yeah. you, you can't sneak past him. You can't kill him. He kills you if you make him angry, and he burns the town if he gets angry enough. You know, which is, okay, that's a good dragon. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a classic. But I feel like the he's, also that, he's also that super hyper-intelligent, like, way more cultivated and cultured than humanity ever would be kind of thing well, you know he, he's he has more that, perceptive you know he still lets a little hobbit fool him with flattery so i don't know i don't know if he's that hyper intelligent no he was, he was definitely very intelligent but i think also the the dragons because of the, the framework we have in 5e uh each of these dragons play differently so so your, your red dragon kind of is the archetype like Dave was discussing. That is the tyrant. I'm controlling a territory. I will please leave your money outside or I'll eat your children dragon. While the green dragon's more cunning, sneaking around, using the, the whole guile aspect. While the white dragon's kind of brute force. Well, it's also funny because they literally, if you, I went back just to, because we were talking about this tonight, I went to the monster manual and your red dragon is still top dog. They gave him yeah. CR like 26 and everyone else is like, you can deal, but down here under me, but I'm, I'm the big boy. Well, that, that always will be. That's horrifying. The, well, that dragon, that dragon hierarchy is actually part of the canon. That's a canonical, that's canonical. That's chromatic dragons go, uh, white, black, green, blue, red. That's correct. It, and then your, and then your metallic dragons go. Nobody cares about them. But they top um, on it. They top yeah. off at gold. They top off at gold. Yeah. yeah, but then there's always the hierarchy, and there is what no, is. No, no, I don't. I don't want to disrespect the gold dragon. I give respect to the gold dragon. There's absolutely, some weird absolutely. metallic a, dragons. Gold, gold, silver. That was a bronze, brass, and uh, copper. Oh. Yeah, I get sense. that. I get the last order mixed up. But but there, that's always there's always that hierarchy where they kind of have them spread out, and they have them spread out that way so you can use different dragons at different levels. Yeah. You can literally have start having dragon encounters pretty much a different dragon encounter every level if you want to. They've got them spread out enough where they cover kind of every CR. And that goes back, not such as 5th edition, that goes back to 2nd edition, maybe even 1st edition. Because those same, the difference between 2nd edition dragons and 5th edition dragons is the way the game works. And 2nd edition dragons were half magical, where 5th edition dragons are, I believe, unless they, they can have spellcasting ability, but other than that, they're pretty much 
they're natural creatures. They're, they're magical creatures, but it's not like, like their breath weapon comes biologically now. I don't think it comes from like a spell in their mouth, which is kind of how second edition dragons work. But yeah, for me, like dragons are special creatures. Like when I put the party up against a dragon, yeah, you might have a wormling you run into that's kind of just, he shows up and you fight him at, a, at an appropriate level. But if you're talking like a, uh, you know, a young dragon, an adult dragon, an ancient dragon, I like that to be a bit more filled with drama. And, you know, the Woodstock Wanderers kind of saw that with that green dragon that was basically using gazes to command people and build mm. a little, a kind, of, kind of a little carnival around himself or a little, almost like a fair around himself from controlled being. And now you guys are coming up on this black dragon lair encounter where he lives somewhere in the middle of a swamp and he's been kind of, you know, he's been hunting you, he's been playing with you, and now you're approaching his lair. So it's very much on my mind about how I'm going to approach that lair. But by and large, my dragon encounters are not so much the dragon shows up, you fight the dragon, you kill the dragon. It's more like you go to the dragon's lair, that lair is a whole adventure, there are traps, there might be pets, there might be a dragon cult, who knows? But there's going to be other stuff before you get to the, That's usually how I do a dragon. Like, it's like a whole, that's a whole dungeon to me, not just a, hey, one-shot, you know, boss monster creature. Mm. Yeah, no, a dragon shouldn't be an encounter. I think that's kind of sad. You're doing that entire situation at this surface. Because if a dragon's not a special creature in your campaign world, well, then what is? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's been uh, meted out, generally speaking, in the campaigns, too. Because, Tony, I know uh, in Storm Kings, you had uh, thrown a couple wyverns out at us as kind of an encounter, but that was a much less, that was like dragon-like, right? That was like yeah. within the realm of a dragon, but it was not the dragon, where when we came upon dragons, they were the intelligent creatures that we could converse with, possibly, except the one white dragon that we just kind of unleashed onto the uh, the Viking Valhalla ship of the Frost Giants. But he was much more of the, as Tony said, the, much, the white dragon is much more of the brute, right? Yeah, he throws fists. But yeah, uh, the, was, the green dragon you met, he wanted to give you riddles. The black dragon in Thorns game wants to eat all of her horses. Yeah, and the green dragon, which we kind of ran from, uh, so now we got the black dragon instead as our uh, as our dragon adventure for the uh, the campaign. Yeah, but they definitely played very. They are definitely playing very differently uh, in terms of how we are coming about them, what they are doing, that type of thing. So yeah, and that's kind of how I want it to be because I feel like. One of the things we forget with dragons, and like one of the reasons why I'll never have a Game of Thrones type dragon in one of my games, at least not in the normal D&D world. If I had a world where dragons were beasts of burden, okay, sure, I'd do like a Drogon type thing. But in general, it's not just that I'm playing dragons that are intelligent. I'm playing dragons that are really, really old. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of how magical is your dragon, what's your dragon's personality, how tough is it. It's also a matter of, well, that dragon's been around for hundreds or thousands of years. What's it done with its time? Like, a dragon isn't like, you're not fighting a dragon at, like, you know, 10 or 12 years old. You're fighting a dragon that is as old as any elf you've met. You know, what's it done? How's it spent its time? What's it built? How's it how's it going, you know? So that adds a different, like, that's why I feel like the D&D dragons really, you want to have a more involved lair, because the dragon has had the time, intelligence, and boredom to make its lair cool. Absolutely. And I think that that's a very, uh, I mean, since it's half of the, the title of the game, right? with dragons that that is a very that is a very dungeons and dragons type of thing where the dragon is much more of this ancient 
prior to humanity, almost like the Titans were type of thing. And it's still around. So it should have that majesty and it should have that that deadliness. And also for me, that somewhat rarity as well. So that's why for me, dragons aren't just everywhere, you know. So this this creature's ancient. What is he doing with his time? I think that's a very interesting point. Well, odds are the dragon's not training. It's not practicing Tai Chi. It's not doing any of that stuff. But it's probably making allies, acquiring minions, gathering information. So aside from a really tra- – yeah. So the, the, the lair being trapped, depending upon the dragon species, I think that's kind of a given. But – yeah, a dragon probably wants to play this like chess in a lot of cases. They got pawns. They got knights. Mm. It's not until they really you get into it. You may not even discover you're up against a dragon until you're really in deep. I think even if you're fighting a dragon that isn't like that isn't like likely to align itself with pawns, maybe they have pets. And even even if they don't have pets, like they have interesting things. And of course, fifth edition does kind of gift wrap some of this for you. Because all the dragons have both legendary actions and lair actions. So, like, right now I'm looking at the Ancient Red Dragon. And the Ancient Red Dragon can have, as a lair action, uh, magma erupt from a point yeah. on the ground it can see. It can have tremors shake the lair. That's it can have poisonous volcanic glass, gases come out. Uh, in addition Not to only that, but what is the, the DC on the frightful presence of a, like, Ancient Red is something like 22, I think? That's fair. 21. So, DC so 21, wisdom save. Yeah, good and luck, that's good luck, a big part, right? That's a big part where it's this, any other beast that comes around or monster or villain or anything, it doesn't have that same level. No one else gets frightful presence, right? I mean, Strahd doesn't even get frightful presence, right? So you have this dragon, this thing swoops in and just its very existence completely makes you shit your pants. You know, and I think that's a big part of how how when you're playing them, if you're bringing them in, how you have to go about it. So when you handle, we're talking about how we handle dragons. I would certainly ha- part of this handling involves a equally epic description. You need to sell this creature. You have an ancient dragon. Well, in second edition, a dragon of that proportion is about a hundred feet long with nearly a hundred foot long tail. That is a horrifying sight. That's why they have that kind of a DC. That's why, you know, your barbarian just dropped a load in his furry pants when he saw that. <laughs> I'm not afraid of anything, brother. Yeah, have you seen this? Yeah, that could eat, it could eat an elephant. Like that's a yeah. Dream. Our um, bugbear samurai that was not afraid of anything in creation in Storm Kings ended up being frightened of the blue dragon that erupted into from whoever that. It was it was had been polymorph shape changed into one of the court and then mm-hmm. turned into oh my god there's a blue dragon here by the way well thorns over there counting its teeth determining its hit dice by you know weight ratio and scale configuration he's like yeah that's like a 22 d8 breath weapon that's disgusting on the subject of lightning nothing actually has lightning output in 5e like the maximum size blue dragon that is the top end. For the record, I'm not over there metagaming. Like, I don't check against the stats or anything, but I do check against the how big is it? Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's that, that's bad for us. That's going to be pretty tough for us. Zagbay's got tape measure. <laughs> I, feel like that's a, I feel like that's a valid, uh, in-character understanding of your enemy, though, right? Like, this is not good. This is beyond our 
Yeah, this is beyond any of you. <laughs> how many how many bites is it going to take it to get to the center of a uh, meat? <laughs> with this said, too, it made me actually think as I was because uh, I haven't played with a lot of dragons, obviously, in our Curse of Strahd campaign, because for me, they don't really uh, exist. I had done a whole dragon campaign with the Pathfinder campaign, but that was a little different. Uh, they were they were younger dragons that had been matured in a fast way, so it let me play with the dials of the dragons at lower levels. But what I did start thinking of was Argonvolst from Argonvolst Holt and the whole yeah. Order of the Silver Dragon, right? The paladins that Scar is involved with, and you guys have been kind of playing around with, you know, finishing out some of their quests that they gave you. And it made me think, so I have this giant silver dragon that was supposedly bested by Strahd. And this made me go back to our conversation about the big bad. And what do you do? Do you dial it up in terms of CR, in terms of difficulty, even if the big bad is, you know, wherever they are. And now the party has outplayed them. And it made me think, like, that makes sense because if Strahd bests a silver dragon and i mean arguable he's he's got to be at least adult if not bigger that's pretty significant dude like he's uh he can't just be rolling in like a normal vampire guy right so it it started making me think about okay well how does that play you know uh just in terms of looking at, at going back to some of the dragon stats and and some of their lore i can just throw out and i an unsolicited idea there Nothing uh -huh. says that he didn't somehow turn that Argonvolt's whole dragon into a shadow dragon that is now his pet under his castle. <laughs> I mean, if very, that was very, the case, I would have had him dry, riding that instead of the nightmare, though, right? Like, riding up. Maybe he upgrades. <laughs> He's flying by at two miles an hour so everybody can see him. Yeah. It's just like the ring race. He upgrades from the horse to the, to, to the dragon. To the fell beast. Oh, my God. Yeah. Also seems yeah. fair. We walk in, it's like the Munster House, where they open the stairs, and there's the roar from from beneath the stairs. Oh, yeah, you, just wish, you just wish yeah, that was there. Spot. No, yeah. but it is, like, and that's kind of the tricky thing with, uh, not, not really tricky, but I think it's the thing you want to think about with dragons. Because the last thing you want to do is have a dragon roll up on the party and just get slaughtered. You want the party to have to deal with a dragon. Like, you want them to have to figure out how they're going to fight this guy. One of my favorite things to do with dragons is to have the party meet it on the wing at first. And maybe get a breath weapon or two when the dragon gets out of the way. Now, yeah. this almost backfired with the green dragon we mentioned, because, you know, as you try to take them out on the wing, the party sent enough fireballs up there to down like a 747. <laughs> and the dragon really almost did not survive that encounter just out of sheer fireworks being thrown at him. <laughs> but like, I we, like didn't even, we were just like, something's there. Fireball, fireball, fireball. Rock in the rocket, drag glare. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Yeah, that was actually, yeah, I think it was sixth level. You guys had just gotten your fireballs too, and everyone's like, "Yes." Yeah, you, what's really fun about dragons is a a blue dragon can toss a sixteen d ten lightning bolt uh, with one hundred and twenty range with a DC twenty three save. So you think you're badass. You're like, yeah. "I've got a lot of hit points." Okay. That could be insta death, depending on on. And that's a cone, right? That's a cone breath weapon, not a not airs of the airs of the line. No, no, that's a line. The red dragon who has uh, only a 90 foot, foot cone and a 24 <laughs> DC save uh, is packing a 26 D6 birth weapon. Let me see. The uh, I mean, Erasmus is 
just slobbering and jealous. He's screened <laughs> with envy over that, that kind of damage output. But so that's see, really what a boss should have. And so you see, that's the thing. Like, I want to use some of that stuff with the dragon. I want to have the dragon show up, terrorize the party a little bit, hit it from where, like, they have a hard time hitting him back. Or maybe some party members fly after him, which actually sort of is what happened in the Woodstock Wanderers game. Some party members were flying yeah. in that direction, and the dragon spotted them and came after them. And now we had a chase with the dragon and the party, and he's faster, and they wind up hiding. It was a lot of good drama. It was a lot. I think it was fun for everybody. But you know, you kind of get the you want to you want to have some of those tension building encounters with the dragon before the showdown, and then you want to have the party go to the dragon's lair. I think because I mean, what party wants to kill a dragon where they can't lose treasure? You know, you want to have him go it's to. It's happened. Yeah, but it just seems like such a waste, right? I mean, is it really an epic encounter if you just killed it out in the field somewhere with no idea where to get all this good stuff? Oh, no. If you think any of my parties ever dropped that, and they're like, you know what? The hell with it, guys. Shucks. We can't find this dragon's lair. They're like, <laughs> no, this is our new life's mission. What? The world's ending? No. Let me move this to the top of the quest log, finding this guy's shit. That is our quest. That's actually not a bad idea for a, for an early level kind of campaign. Some heroes kill a dragon that's terrorizing a village, but they kill it at the village and no one knows where the lair is. And now someone from the village is like, we gotta go, you know, we can get rich if we go find that dragon's lair. And now for the first like 10 levels, we're trying to find the dragon's lair and what's the Yeah, there's the rumor that you're trying, yeah, the rumor yeah. of the giant treasure hoard. The that is an dragon. Yeah, that is an easy way to get, uh, get people going. And then you can always bring some dragons back in in some fashion, you know. And then, so I think, you know, like I said, I want to have some tension-building encounters with the dragon. Then I want the party to have to come get it at its lair. And once you're at the lair, I want my lair to be pretty challenging, and I want it to be fairly big. There should be some different tunnels and caves and different places that the dragon can have traps. I also really love the pet approach. So Tony just went into detail about just how badass the blue dragon's breath weapon is. So what self-respecting blue dragon doesn't have a garden of shambling mounts that it can heal that the party has to walk through to get to it, that it heals as it breath weapons the party. I mean, think like that kind of thing is what you want to do with a dragon, I think. You know, give them some things that fit their theme and play with them well and are going to be a real hard time for the party to deal with before they get to the dragon and have to deal with it. You know, it should be a thing. It shouldn't just be, hey, I roll up on a dragon and we throw down. It should be, uh, you're getting through this dragon's years and years and years of go-away defenses. Or is that boring? Not no. at all. Not at all. Tony's played through it a couple We've talked about, I have had some dragon encounters that I made too hard. Like in fourth edition, the green dragon encounter we've talked about before. There's a balance here. You don't want to frustrate the party. No, you that wasn't hard. Nobody understands how ranged combat worked in that party. I mean, these guys were babes of like 11th level. Like, what did you expect? Thinking fighters and guys like that would bring bows or something to fight an aerial creature. That's insanity. Yeah, if you haven't caught those earlier episodes, what we talked about was this is basically a green dragon that kept flying by the party, and the party had not brought any ranged weapons, except for the wizard and, like, the rogue. So there was two party members who even tried to hit it. It kept fly by breath weaponing them, and the party needed to regroup and learn a valuable lesson about keeping some javelins or bows on them all the time. I really wish, like, we could have, like, you know, recaptured my facial expression when I looked over, and I'm like, so none of you guys... No, not even spears, axes, throwing hammers. A javelin, something. <laughs> no, 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 you thought that was all, like, for, for wimps? Yeah, I'm, all right. I, 
I would also say DM lesson. Give your party, give your melee characters some things that can hit at range, just so they have some options in like any kind of flying combat. I, I mean, no, that was not on you. No, no way. <laughs> I'm sorry. We lived in a fourth edition campaign where basically you could have walked into a magical item shop, air quotes, and if you had the residium and or the gold in a combination. You can be like, I would like a flying trident. Well, there's five flying tridents. Which one of those would you like? They all suck, but they're there. And that's fourth edition in a nutshell. Yeah. That goes back to when we were talking about working with your big bad and working with, uh, you know, how do you make that big final encounter and the, the additional thing. So this doesn't have to be for a final encounter, but something like a dragon in my mind. And we've kind of been all agreeing on this point. It's a named thing. You know, this dragon has an entire history. It has been around over generations of these people. So it's not just going to drop in the middle of a giant party and just start trying to box them, right? It's going to do the thing like like I, I mentioned earlier, the smog strafing the town of Dale, right? Or in Game of Thrones, when the dragon is just strafing those areas and just lying utter devastation down and you can't do anything about it because why wouldn't it it can fly you can't i mean some people can but you know for the most part (laughs) these little creatures can't so i'm just going to be death from the sky i would also Hmm. say having a dragon show up and do that if if you're going to put the dragon encounter and okay it, it comes to the party like it's attacking the town the party's defending or it's attacking the castle the city right that's also a really good time to introduce some interesting, like, dragon-ranged weapons. Like, maybe they do a ballista, like from Game of Thrones. Or maybe the party does get some, you know, high-flying javelins or special arrows or something to help them repel the dragon and then go get it in its lair. But or possibly think, some sort of lance, maybe, that can fight dragons. Like, I don't know, maybe a dragon lance. There's some sort of... I, can't, like I don't think anyone's ever done that before. That's just yeah. out of the blue. It's something I've been starting to play around with for a new campaign, yeah. But I do remember. I watched that entire Dragonlance movie, Dragons of Autumn Twilight, and not a single Dragonlance appeared. So I don't understand why that was in the name. <laughs> it's too early. It's too early. I keep telling you, go back and read them. They're great. <laughs> but you know, it's a good time to do that sort of thing. And then you get, you know, I like to get a couple encounters out of it. You get kind of the the, the strafing run encounter. Maybe you get them repelling the dragon, so it goes back to its lair and heals. Then they got to go into its lair to try to kill it. Finally, like that's how I like to use a dragon. Like mm. it's something that it takes them a few adventures or a few encounters at least to get through. I mean, honestly though, with uh, the dragon, that is your opportunity to drop what is cool in your campaign world. So the dragon is this ancient creature. It's powerful. You had to crawl on your stomach under the barbed wire to get through its lair. Well, you know what? I'm sorry. I've been in situations where I've killed a dragon, had three hit points left, two people died, and I get a bucket of plus one weapons. That's rough. I mean, your dragon's been around for thousands of years. It should have collected thousands of years worth of coal treasure garbage not plus one weapons it's got a rubber tire uh some boots a raincoat um because I mean, the, dragon, the dragon is the original pinata monster you kill the <laughs> dragon you get all the candy yeah it's raining treasure if you can uh if you can uh you know stomach the fist fight sure but that's that really that sets the bar because if i go into a dragon's horde and i defeat the 
ancient dragon, and we clean it out, and that cord is above average, well, then it's not a very treasure-focused campaign. There is not, you're not going to go find Excalibur or Mjolnir. Okay, you won't find specifically those, but you're not going to find those real high-end, epic, dare I say, items. They're, they're not floating around. Not a staff of a Magi in there, then I don't know where the hell it is. <laughs> so oh, that's a that's a good that's a good question here. So as I said, I don't do a lot of I mean dragons generally exist in my world, but I haven't done a ton of I'm gonna do a big dragon thing other than when I did the entire campaign based around dragons. But like I said, that was a little different, right? Because they were not these ancient dragons. They had been matured from egg from hatchlings, yada yada yada. Anyway, and then within Barovia, as you guys kind of learned as you went through Argenvolst Holt, a lot of these areas seem to have been looted over the years, at, you know, because the dragon was gone and the knights were the revenants now, yada, yada. So you guys have played a lot more with dragons in this way. With a dragon's horde in the lair, we're talking an ancient dragon. We're not talking the adult, we're talking the ancient. This thing is 1500 years old, right? That is an entire adventure itself in getting through a treasure hoard of that magnitude. Because it can't just be like, okay, you get, you know, 70 million gold and, you know, 700 million copper and 37 breastplates plus one and plus three and plus five. You have to go through all that stuff. There aren't enough bags of holding in the world to hold all of this nor transport it. How do you handle that? Two ways. First of all, your question does, you, you, you kind of touched on the one thing that makes it a little different. It really depends on the magical quality of their extra dimensional spaces. Because it is possible the party has stumbled across something that is nigh infinite in its ability to hold stuff by then. There, there are some, in the past, there have been some very big bags of holding. Maybe they got multiples, spells. So yeah, maybe shrink it. You know, so sometimes a party of a certain level can usually get the whole horde. So you'll need to know what the total gold piece value is. And now they're in that land of we have fuck you money. And do we still want to keep venturing? Do have time to buy the castle? King, how much for your title? Oh, I never sell that. Here's a kajillion gold pieces. Are you sure? They have that rips level money that happened in yeah. Tony's one game. On the other hand, what you can do is if they have the bags they have, you yeah. can just go in and say, okay, fill your bags. You don't need to calculate the whole treasure hoard then. You just say, okay, fill your bags. You want the most expensive stuff, I'm sure. You figure out the gems. You figure out the magic items. You let them take as much gold as they can carry. So that's that, those are the two ways I would handle it, depending on what they can do. I think Tolkien handled it best, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, as Dave said, they spent an incredible amount of time. I, I think Dave nailed it. You're doing a disservice. What do we have there? You have 70 million gold pieces. Oh, great. Doesn't that fill you full of wonder? Doesn't that make the adventure feel so real like you've reached your destination? A number on a sheet of paper. Break it up. There was a supplement in 4E that was really fantastic surrounding dragons and their hordes and what you have based on their level, where they broke it up. Like you'd have X amount of works of art, vases, paintings, suits of armor that aren't magical. There was one dragon in a dragon magazine who had a whole war galley just shoved in a corner of his, of his hoard. It would be all mixed currency, jewels, gems, uncut stones. Really, if it is a precious commodity, it's in this hoard. You'd have to, you'd have to sort through it, catalog it, 
divided. And the Lord of the Rings, where they, they had they had armies converging on them. Yeah. The fight over yeah. that money. You're not walking away like, oh, I shoved it. We just helped foreign move. That's not how moving works. It kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? Thorin's idea where you could, in essence, create a whole campaign low level by saying some adventurers killed this dragon, but it had landed in the village. You're not the only ones that are going to be treasure hunting for this legendary. That's like the city of gold, right? So, yeah, like that's it can't just like it's so massive. It would take weeks if not months to go it's mountains i mean think back like we're, like we we mentioned earlier smog if we go back to the hobbit movie the treasure hoard was mountains of gold you know just mountains of gold it was like you're excavating it's like you're you're strip mining for copper or something right <laughs> you know there's an interesting stat i'm trying to pull up here to put this in perspective so in terms of how much gold has been found in the world, in the history of the Earth, it's, it's, it's estimated 2. that 24 metric tons of gold has been discovered, which is basically, it's a cube 28 meters wide to a side. Literally, okay. in the entire history of Earth, there's only ever been enough gold mined to fill a... Uh, you know, it's, what is that? It's uh, a little less than 100 foot, 100 foot, 100 foot cave. And you put that in perspective of dragon hordes. You're talking smog was laying on basically as much gold as has been found in the history of the real earth. Right. That's a lot. <laughs> it's, That's a lot. It's really a lot. It's a lot, you know? So, it, like, it just makes me think, like, with something like that, because, Tony, as you said, the description of the dragon, you want to really sell it. The same thing with that horde. You want to sell how much, like it's uncountable in a way, almost, right? That's the way I would want to approach something like that if it was something like an ancient dragon. Yeah, I think Tony made a really great point, the way you described the way that horde should be. You know, I'm kind of breaking it down into much more pragmatic kind of stuff. Right, right. But you're right. I mean, in Lord of the Rings, the dwarves had to, I mean, they were going to take them out in any way, but... In the movies, at least, like the dwarves had to move in because you they weren't moving the gold. Like you had to yeah. live on that board. You weren't taking it away. <laughs> well, you yeah, extend yeah. it over time, but it was staying where it was. It was too big to move. In the movie version, the, the way they handled that, which I thought was pretty on point with uh, the actual book, the, the dwarves were the superpower in that region. They mined around the clock like it was religion. They accumulated all that wealth. They had all the leverage. They, and the dragon came in and said, ha ha, look at all this money. You're all on fire and I'm keeping this. And they ran for their lives. <laughs> You're all on fire. And the best part is they had one gem in there that was like a king's tear from Forgotten Realms. I don't know if that was actually in the book. Or if it was, it was much it was much more depressed. The Silmarils were in there, though. The, the, the Ark and Stone, I think, was from the movie for the most part. The Silmaril was the big deal in there. That was the thing they had to, that, that Bilbo gave to the elves. Yeah, the Cimarole was something was made by fan or okay, I'm gonna stop. Nobody wants to. No, no, the, yeah, I know you're right though. This, the Cimarole, the Cimarole's were the gems made in like the second age. They captured the original light of the of the trees that created light, and they were gems that had that light. And literally, people went to war over them over ages, and they wound up in that dragon sword. So they were they were that thing. 
But it brings up a good point, though, because what do we get back to is you have to keep the adventure going forward, right? So let's say this is the adventure, right? And they've taken Mount Erebor. You still have to keep it going. So the way in which they did that, the plot device, was the idea of the Arkenstone. So you bring that up into much more focus and you kind of you you build on it. So the, the dwarves can still live at Mount Erebor and the armies are converging, but you can still move forwards with certain amounts. Like Thorne, you were saying, the pragmatic approach of, okay, fill your bags and I'll tell you what's in them as you kind of empty them later on or something like that. Or, you know, name some things that you want to try to find. Give me some investigation checks, whatever. And here's the stuff that you're going to get. I'd actually be careful about that because I will say, like, having done this for years and having done sometimes forge where I'm like, all right, what's in there? Roll, give me a luck roll. Players seem to like it better, and it feels a little more immersive if you already know what's in the horde. They don't love it when you make them roll to see if they can find the things. They like to think that you already planned it out and have it set. Right. Having said that, like, you know, I think a dragon's horde's a good time to just, okay, if they want to fill their bags, just let them fill their bags with gold. You know, there's enough gold in here. Fill your bag with gold. How many gold coins can fit in that cubic feet? You have. <laughs> Go ahead. All yours. Fine. You are rich now. You, you you killed this dragon over multiple adventures. You earned it. And then as a DM, what you have to do is start introducing new things for them to spend their money on. So this is when Elios' Sky Mall might show up. You know, I'm sure Elios could take, you know, a couple hundred million off the player character's hands for some neat stuff. Uh, I mean, give Tony five minutes and he'll have some stuff that they're, they're just aching to spend that money on. It'd be burning a hole in all their bags of holding. The rogue always wanted that antimatter rifle. Ooh, that was fun. That was very fun. I'm glad you finally had a chance to play with that. It was late game, but like that was something I teased in the beginning. Like, was, oh, you can't afford this, but here it is. That, and just, just uh, if you didn't hear our Storm King's Thunder recap, one of the things that showed up late in Storm King's Thunder was an antimatter rifle from the DMG. But it was like it showed up early in a shop in very Final Fantasy style. You couldn't even think to afford it then. But down the road, just in time for the last couple encounters, we were able to afford it and a couple bullets for it. So we were able to bring in an antimatter rifle in the last encounter. Very, you know, very Final Fantasy style. OK, I finally got the good stuff and I'm bringing it out for this fight where it's still not going to be enough. So, yeah, that worked out perfect. The tease early, saving up for it. We can finally afford it, and just in time, well done. That's great. It's still not going to be enough. That was the, no. <laughs> that no. was the qualifier. I think I created on one of the shots. I think I hit it in the head once. Oh, uh, Sarkaloth? Yeah. Was it Sark no, I think I used it on the dragon. I think I created the dragon at one point. You disintegrated some things from that, like total yeah. phaser, your molecules are on the ceiling kind of uh, moment. Well, because that was the thing is that was the encounter where, like you said, I was because because, yeah, like you said, the dragon sphere got him. So I couldn't get any closer to it. So I had to bust out the rifle. And fortunately, it worked. I might use the luck roll in there somewhere. I think I did give him luck eventually. So, yeah, you know, it's like yeah, your your dragon's got to be impressive. The encounter's got to be impressive. Encounters, plural, should be impressive and memorable. Your lair should be something the players don't forget. They should feel walking into that fetid swamp or the magma caves where, you know, obsidian is cutting them as they walk along or, or, or the frozen ice cave or the white dragon. Like, they should feel that stuff as they're coming into it. And then they should have a pretty cool fight with a dragon that uses a lot of different lair tricks and legendary actions and things it knows about its lair that they don't and some pets and stuff. I think that's what you want out of a dragon fight. 
Yeah, Thorne, I would say you made, you made a point of it, and I think that's important, uh, even beyond just the layer actions. But we've said this before, but it's definitely worthwhile to read your monster manual, your volos, those types of things. Read some of this lore, because when you look at those layer actions, whether it's for dragons or hags or whatever, they also have what's happening in the region surrounding. And it's not... It's not danger things in the sense of damage is going to happen to the party, but it's ways in which you can start to color this whole region has been affected when this thing moves in. You know, so a mile surrounding it, certain things are happening. As you get closer, certain smells or certain things you see in the trees, whatever it might be. Uh, but it's great ways to begin to create a bigger effect a bigger description so that people know that when they're walking in like when we were in woodstock with the bitter breath was a little different because we were in the fey wild so it was already kind of like all right we're in the fey wild and we got a sense that something like this just doesn't seem right this looks like a trap what's going to happen and the trap turned out to be a freaking dragon who knew right with this black dragon that we are now tracking stupidly into its swamp lair uh, where we can't move well. It's definitely had that feel of we are coming in and you feel that tension dialing up because you have made it very clear that we are walking into its lair and not the opposite. You know, like it has the advantage and that's come through very loud and clear in that way. And that's some of that like kind of lair region stuff. So... The thing is, though, when you're killing the ancient Mac Daddy Dragon, yes, you get that kind of horde. But when you're facing a more conventional dragon, like, honestly, that's the thing I would throw out there, too, towards the end of the campaign. Like, really, you've, you're you're about to fight the final boss, or maybe even post-game, you've defeated the final boss. Well, there's this dragon floating around. I mean, <laughs> hey, you can't leave this guy running around. He's dangerous. He's going to eat some sheep and some senior citizens. So... But the more you still have these adult dragons, the, the formidable ones, and you have to start that, that balance between, yes, it's a very tough fight. Uh, yes, they have good treasure, good description, good description of the treasure, but you're leaving yourself room. It's kind of like if I handed it out Mjolnir in a game. Where, what, what am I going to give the fighter three games from now? A belt? <laughs> no. It's tough. You know, the How belt to be able to heft Mjolnir. Yeah, <laughs> like he can't have the gauntlets next. I mean, no, he can only carry it in a bag through the transitive yeah. property of worthy. Is the bag worthy? I mean, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> so you know the way I handle that. It is actually so maybe this is anticlimactic, but the approach I take to all of these kinds of things is when you have an encounter like a dragon, I generally try to give everyone a piece of equipment that is a upgrade over what they have. In, like, a significant upgrade. So, I mean, and to put it in, like, the real pragmatic terms, if they're all sitting on plus two gear, well, everyone probably gets at least one piece of plus three gear with some cool abilities, and maybe there's something in there that's a little, that's more legendary. But I tend to use them as, like, gear level up opportunities of, okay, you killed the big dragon, we're stepping up, you know, you're getting stuff that's better than what you had. But as Tony said, if it's an adult dragon, like CR-15 or so, you're not, it's, you know, they'll be rich, but you're not going to give them Mjolnir. 
you're not going to give them the staff of you know, the or, an orb of dragon kind. You're not going to give them something quite like that. Maybe an apparatus or qualish that could be fun at lower levels. You know, nice little lobster tank submarine, but not you know you're not going to give them something. You're not, you're not going to give them you know like something ridiculous from it. Having said that, we've all had wishes show up in our games at like any level. So I don't know what's really ridiculous for us. <laughs> but that's usually how I benchmark it is. I go to the next level of the the next the next tier up of stuff. I make sure everyone's going to get at least one cool thing that way, and usually I try to make it cool. So it's not just like a plus three; it's a plus three with neat abilities. Or you try to pull in like I make sure everyone kind of gets like maybe a wondrous item too, where it's something different they don't have access to that'll be fun. Um, and I don't mind that they're going to be relatively rich compared to what they've done before because you you kill a dragon, it's like selling a startup, right? You should reach the next level of wealth when you kill the dragon. You know, you should go from, you know, we, we can't afford where to stay to we can now buy a house. Selling or, you know, a startup. <laughs> <I'm just laughs> that's like the D&D version of Silicon Valley. It's like selling a podcast. Oh, crazy. That's how I benchmark it, though. Like, I tend to think I want, if you're going to go through a fight like that, you should reach your next tier of gear. And pretty cool gear. There should be something in there that isn't just, hey, plus three. It should be plus three and an ability you know they're going to like. You know, something neat for everybody. Not that I'm making any promises for the Woodstock Wanderers. You know, it's, I'm going to give you guys, this dragon collects copper. There's a lot of copper in there. I haven't mentioned that yet. this dragon in the fucking face. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see what my gear is. <laughs> His horde, he hoards copper and dead villagers, and that's what you guys are going after. Yeah, he just, he hoards memories of the villagers. That's, <laughs> he's a strange, eccentric dragon where he hoards well, like, memories. Have you seen this meme on Facebook about there should be dragons that hoard all sorts of things? And the dragon's like, yeah, we used to do gold, but it got so heavy. Now I hoard precious flowers, or rare <laughs> flowers. Bob yeah. hoards books. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You just walk into oh, an episode of Hoarders. Names. It's just an episode of Hoarders, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be so sad. That would we have like dragons that. all wrong. They're just all, they're just all highly sentimental hoarders. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, have fun with your campaign world. Do something different, unique. <laughs> Granny Dragon. Yeah, she comes over. She makes you tea from her collection of thousands and thousands of dainty teacups. Teapots. Yeah, yeah, she has. All, yeah, all the tea. She has. She has all the best teapots. Although she does have every magical teapot in the world, except for one. Yeah, you know, like she does have good stuff in there. It's just you gotta tell from the other basic china. Yeah, it's just teapot. It's like the end of Last Crusade. Like you have to find the one Grail, you know, that a carpenter would have. <laughs> but yeah, but she has like teapots from like. The previous civilization, too, that Absolutely. died in the cataclysm. You know, somewhere, like she has those teapots. Somewhere in there, she has the first bowl used to brew tea by Stone Age ancestors of humans oh, or elves. I, I'm afraid that's going to happen at some point. I'm going to have some granny gold dragon, all like old Asian <laughs> grandmother style, and she's just going to have a massive collection of teapots. Of various magical properties and non-magical properties. I think that's phenomenal. Rifts has oriental dragons that uh, have magic tea. That do magic, magic crazy, tea. crazy stuff. It's like the magic tattoo uh, mechanic. Yeah. Like oh, they also have they also have magic tattoos. Yes, correct. Same dragons. I'm going to, I'm they're, going they're, to make that happen at some point. They are baller, shape-changing dragons from the the previous age that uh, you they like. Oh, you would um, what can I do for you? You want superpowers? Have some tea. 
Of course, you're under their control. That's a slight problem, but... <laughs> Well, it's like tea. It's like tea beards drink, right? The the he and the hobbits. They get taller. They get braver. It's you know, it's, it's like that. Hmm. And yeah, dragons. Like, see, they are my favorite monster in D and D. There is nothing in D and D. There's no demon, no angel, no afreet. There's nothing I like in D and D as much as dragons. Like I think they're the coolest monster. I think D and D does some really great things with them that make them even more interesting. As, as far as I'm concerned, like I, I enjoy the D&D style dragon and I, so I love playing with them. It's just taken us a while to get back to them in Woodstock Wanderers. Party's kind of skittish. Now, with that said, Thor, because you obviously have the, I mean, you talked about using like the Council of Worms and stuff before mm-hmm. too, from 2E, well, but. Um, we never got a Council of Worms game off the ground. We played like two adventures with one of my friends. It's a weird setting. Your dragon literally has to sleep for like 100 years between adventures. You have to have regular adventurers with your dragon so they can go on the little small people quest. It's a weird setting. It didn't really take off. That's cool. We should do it one day. My point being is, especially in 5e now, um, because those are the dragons that we're playing with currently, if we are playing with them. Do you generally, what do you guys, what are your guys take on, because it is a, it is a variant rule. It's, it's a, it's an optional rule. Do you have them be innate spellcasters? Because in some ways, I always thought of dragons like the the big dragon, the D&D dragon, is the type of dragon that is also arcane. It is hyper-intelligent. It has been around a long time. It has known magic when it was written type of thing. So do you generally play with them with spellcasting? Or is that something that you reserve for very, very, very special dragons? Or at all. Previous editions leaned into that hard. Uh, first and second edition, literally all the dragons by age acquired those abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it showed, and they could use them with truly deadly effects. Now in 5e, not so much. That it really is for the special, rare, unique creature. Uh, another way to, to handle that, though, was to give your magic, your, your Puff the Magic Dragon, so he utilizes some of the magic in his horde. Because... Like, oh, man, I have the Staff of the Magi here and this Ring of Invisibility and this Crown of Might. I'm not going to wear any of this garbage. I'm fighting these adventurers straight up. (laughs) (laughs) That's the skeleton meme. I keep going back to all these goddamn memes. That skeleton meme, like, whoa, look at this Holy Avenger. What are you going to use? I'm going to use this rusty pitchfork. (laughs) You're like, wait, what? what I would use it sparingly. I wouldn't want the dragon equipping himself with everything in his own horde because that gets hilarious. But he's just rolling up with bling, just bling everywhere, right? Rings, necklaces, crowns. They can, he could wear rings that that is on the table. They can utilize certain items like crystal balls, things like that. So, here's the deal with that, and I think because I actually I didn't like in second edition that every dragon could do it because it doesn't really make a lot of sense for white and black dragons to be casting spells. And I didn't love the idea that they were all innate spellcasters, they seem to have their own innate abilities. Having said that, I am very open to the idea that a dragon has spent its centuries on Earth learning magic, especially the gold and silver dragons. Silver dragons traditionally, they love humans and humanity, and they often will spend a lot of their lives, or not just humans, but humanoids, but they'll yeah. also spend a lot of their lives polymorphed into a more into a an elf or a half-elf or a human and live out a lifetime just getting to know humans, maybe sending them on quest, and eventually going back to being a dragon for a while and living another human lifetime when they're ready. So a dragon like that, spending a lifetime becoming an archmage, makes total sense. 
He said that yeah. to their abilities. I wouldn't even take anything away. It's just one turn they're going to cast Wish instead of cast a Breath Weapon. And yeah, that's going to be a bigger problem for the party. Deal with it. <laughs> that, that's coming at you now. He was a Silver Dragon. You did something. You 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 wound up here. You did something bad to piss off the Silver Dragon who loves people. You know, you, you made a mistake. You done goofed. Now you got to deal with a dragon that can cast Wishes. So it, on the other side, I think I think it just depends on the dragon. Like I don't really see a red dragon as a spellcaster. Uh, a blue maybe. A green definitely. Um, those are the kind of dragons I think might do it. And if they do it, yeah, I don't mind essentially taking the three mechanic of adding class levels to a creature. Mm-hmm. Just take it and add some levels to it. Say there, this is a, he is also a spellcaster of such and such level, and he can cast spells instead of fight you. Because for the most part, because spells are balanced at the party level, and your dragon's probably a higher CR than the party, you're going to put him at a certain, whatever his spellcasting level is, those spells aren't likely to be that much more powerful than his innate abilities anyway. So his best spells might be better than his attacks, but they're not going to be way above his attacks, depending on what level you put it at, you know? You have to be careful about his reactions with spells. That's you got to watch rubber, Yeah, the rubber will hit the road. Because guess what? You're attacking a freaking red dragon with a 24-hour class, and he's like, shield, bitches. How's that feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't hit him to begin with. <laughs> you yeah, only are hitting with a crit. That's it. That's the only way you're hitting. <laughs> he's got the ancient red dragon with Magneto's force field flying around. It's ugly. But that's, that's a good point. It can, you got to be a little, you can break it. You got to be careful not to break it against your players. Yeah, but with a, something of that magnitude, if something is truly that ancient, then uh, I don't know. It's like fighting a god. <laughs> you haven't done that bit. in the game before? Well, no, no, no. I'm just saying, but like it should, that's, that should be reflective of it, you know? Because yeah. to tell you the truth, with the party that I'm currently running through Strahd, I don't think they'd have a problem hitting that red dragon with a fucking shield. I, I really don't. Oh, oh, can you imagine Hawk putting the diamond cutter on a red dragon? Oh, that's what I'm got all that neck to drop. Right. And we didn't even, like, I haven't even dealt with having to deal with uh, different sizes and things with the grappling. So, I mean, I, I could really back myself into a fucking corner here, you know? I think I think you have room to play with dragons in Barovia if you want to. Especially with the Shadow Dragon and Skeleton Dragon. You got some things you can play with. I don't well, see I mean, why Strahd wouldn't yeah, have I've, I've kept it. I've kept it uh, pretty much just to the Argervolst idea, but he's in exactly that, that idea. He has he had changed shape into a human and started an order of paladins and lived out a life and all of that. So very much like you were just saying. With, it, with the, he's not with a paladin still alive, right? He actually, he's gone, right? Argonvost No, he has been killed. Yeah, you found the, the skull was actually, yeah. uh, Baba Lysaga was using it as her ship. That's her, right. Her the one that I couldn't reanimate to use as a ship, damn it. Nor could, <laughs> nor could we reanimate her, her hut. Phineas was so upset. It was special. Uh, it was Well, you guys tried it first, but you never kind of went back to it. So we just kind of let it lie at that point. And also, you did give the, because one of the ways in which I was thinking of playing with it was with those magical seeds that you found, those those kind of ancient druidic magic seeds. Uh, but you guys did gift them back to the Wizard of Wines. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we're good guys. You well, guys, because you know why? Because that's what heroes do. That's what. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I want to yeah, That's what heroes do. I yeah. want a tree that walks. Fuck that. <laughs> 
It's kind of like we found those 10 awesome magic rings in your brother's campaign. And then five minutes later, this other asshole shows up. He's like, hey, I really could use those to save some people. And it's like, mm, we'll save them. Go go away, son. <laughs> yeah. You're not qualified to save those people, and we are. <laughs> I mean, I'm impressed you found us like that in this cutscene. That is impressive. That hit the road. <laughs> All right, so before we wind up disappearing down the wormhole of Marvel, although you guys did just fight some dragons in the Marvel game. I had to skip that one, but I guess that's true. I guess. The Mock ones. The Mock ones, yeah. It was actually art imitating life, imitating art, because Chris had kind of developed this idea for my character um, where we would have to go and, and deal with the Mock race, which are kind of like dragon races. And after that, the teaser trailers and stuff for the new Shang-Chi movie started coming out where they're going to be dealing with the Mokluans and the Mandarin and the rings and all of that kind of stuff. And he was like, this is crazy. I think they're watching our game. <laughs> that is funny. Hold on. Are these the legendary Ten Rings? Yeah, these are the man. We found the, the Mandarin's rings. Yeah, the we Mok- have them. And they're, not as, they're not as crazy as you would think. Like, they're actually, like, for where we are in terms of our power level, like, they're a little less powerful, you know? But. <laughs> so how did the Marvel dragons differ from D&D dragons? Drastically. They were just an alien race. Yeah. That was loving, and then they decided to come to Earth because they got greedy. It was, it's really unfortunate, you know. They're, so they're like the anti-Asgardians. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, D&D dragons would fucking ace these things though i think <laughs> well yeah no fin fam foom was tough he he took a beating he, he, <laughs> yeah, he did. yeah i mean you know until you punch him into a mountain but regardless yeah. did you guys literally beat up every dragon in the marvel universe not all no no some of them were quite nice we can oh, first had yeah, tea, most of them tea. helped us cool all right all right so let's bring this back around back to D dragons and some final thoughts what are your final thoughts on using dragons in your D&D campaigns? When a dragon is encountered, it should be a point of note. So that monster deserves a very solid and involved description. And so does that creature's treasure. However, don't paint yourself into a corner while they're getting literally rooms of gold, unless you've got a plot device already in play for that. Otherwise, you know, it kind of does suck the motivation at the room where I'm like, well, what do you want to do? I have 395,000 gold pieces. I'm just going to lay on my pile of money like Scrooge McDuck. I think that plot device is called home ownership. That'll drain it. That'll drain it right away. <laughs> oh, so you have that much gold? Wait till your property taxes are too. <laughs> Jokes on you. Yeah, I think dragons, for me, I like dragons to be more rare and more uh, amazingly powerful. So like Tony said earlier, it's not going to be a thing where it's just an encounter like, oh, hey, a dragon flew by and it's going to kill you now. I want it to be something that's like a named entity. It is a known thing. It has history. It has lore. Even if it's not necessarily an ancient one, um, it at least has created a level of of fear within the surrounding area and it's known. It's not just something that you just go and, and fight once and kill it. And I think you should decide if you want your dragons to be either, like I said, the two the two fulcrums, the two extremes are more of the Tolkien-style dragon where it's this magical creature that speaks 
that has been around for thousands of years, that has amassed wealth, that is does what the, all the dragons that we think about in D&D do, or it's these almost mindless beasts like they have with Game of Thrones. I think they can both be useful, but it's going to change very drastically how you are going to approach them in your campaign world. There See, you I don't know how the Game of Thrones dragon gets any of these legendary actions or abilities. Like changing shape, Drogon's not changing shape. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but they don't all get that either, though. They don't all have changed shape. True. Like for instance, like the white dragon. I think of like the like the Drogons and stuff more like the white dragons. They're like just these brutes, or even the red dragon, because I don't think they change shape either. They're just a beast. They're just they literally a tank. They just, uh, they're a tank. Yeah. yeah but most of those are very highly intelligent too, which to kind of goes in way. But it doesn't mean that you can't go that route. You know, and that would make dragons exceedingly rare in your world, which was kind of the whole gist of of Thrones, right? Was that dragon? What's what made them so wonderful was they there were three in the entire world left. You know, basically three flying war elephants, essentially. Yeah, three nuclear deterrents is what it was. Well, that's that's where D and D makes that really interesting split. Yes, you could have these incredible creatures like that, but they were creatures. They weren't like we described. These weren't these intelligent, thinking, plotting beings that have spent all this time observing, learning, uh, laying plans. That's just a monster. It could eat you or its horse. It doesn't eat mm. the horse. You run on. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I kind of like the more like the the, the, the ancient plan laying dragon. Although it is fair to say you can play a white or a black as something like Drogon. I mean, something like the Game of Thrones dragons. That's fair, especially if they're like younger. Like, if it's a young dragon, which the Game of Thrones dragons were, that yeah. makes sense. You could do that if you wanted to. I just wouldn't. <laughs> I guess that's my yeah, final thought. It's like, I mean, dragons mm. are in the title of the game, and I really do like my dragons to be special when you meet them. And I talked at length about kind of what I try to do to try to make that happen. Tony mentioned one of the most important things, and it's something we've all made the mistake of. If you're playing any boss monster that has legendary actions or lair actions, or even reactions, make sure you use them. Because mm -hmm. if you're not using your legendary actions, your party's going to chew that monster up. So make sure you're aware of what it does. Make sure you use it. And as far as just doing you know, a cool dragon, think about what sets it apart. You know, And I think, in general, there's two types of dragons to me. There are active dragons that, as Dave was saying, they're like, no. They're, they're, they're natural hazards in the world. Living next to a dragon is like living next to a very selective volcano. You never know when you're going to be the one that gets burnt. <laughs> this um, is the dragon Pompeii. Yes. <laughs> or, but there's also sleeping dragons. I have one of those in Woodstock Wanderers, too. There's the great mossy dragon that they came across that was sleeping. They haven't, it hasn't woken up. But there is that aspect, and I think that's another cool aspect to play with, of this dragon's been asleep for a thousand years, and now it's awake, and now it's eating your people. And now it wants all your gold. And now what are you going to do about it? And that can be cool too, but you should still have a reason it went like that. Like there should be ancient legends that speak to there used to be a dragon here that has now returned. Either way, it should be special. And I think you just, you know, when you have a dragon, just do everything you can to make the party feel like they are fighting one of the namesakes of the game. You know, make it cool, make it a little drawn out, make them deal with it multiple times. Your dragon shows up and dies in five rounds, you have failed. In my opinion, not everyone's opinion, but that is not how you want your dragon fight to go. It should be more memorable and interesting than that. 
And when if they do defeat it, they should get memorable treasure. It should be one of the milestone, one of the uh, hallmarks of the game. Things that they remember as a, a, a as one of the most important parts of their career as adventurers. Because to me, that's what dragons in D and D mean. All right, well, guys, so. I had a great time here talking about dragons. I gotta admit, my favorite my favorite fantasy monster. So I'm a little biased here. <laughs> so have you had a very significant dragon in every game you've ever run? You know, the dragon isn't necessarily story significant because I tend to make them more. I'm not so much of DM that wants to make the dragon the big bad. I could. I have. I mean, it shows. No, 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 no not that. But they're in every. Like they show up in every campaign somehow that you run. Yeah, not that often because you still want them to be special. But like you know, you, they'll they'll come across at least one dragon at some point. That's a big deal. And then you do start eventually having them being like lieutenants and stuff. Like Tony's done a ton of this too. You know, how do you how do you make clear that that demon general is a real badass? Well, he's got two dragons with him, who he has on chains, and he's souped up because that is literally something that happens in the in in the in the pit, that that they have tortured and 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 made obedient and even more powerful. And that's how you know that demon's a badass. Now that's not my favorite kind of dragon, but eventually you hit that point where you're like. How do you know how cool this guy is? Because he's got ancient dragons as pets that you have yeah. to fight to get to him. So there's like that level. You know, like dragons should be in there when your campaign is still epic fantasy. And then they start to become kind of set, kind of just like part of the scenery or part of the forces when you hit that truly high cosmic epic level. You know, once they start kind of fighting demon princes and gods, well, now dragons become lieutenants or pets that they have. I think that's the progression on it. But there should always be a couple memorable dragon fights in a party's career, I think. What do you guys think? Do you, do you not use them in every campaign? Mine, oh, there's always a dragon who rears its ugly ancient head at some point. I have had dragons uh, either be the centerpiece or within the world, yeah, in, in every one. Yeah. I mean, I kind of feel like a campaign without dragons is just wasting 30 pages of the monster manual. Just don't overuse them so they don't become cool. Yeah. They still have to be special, but I just think, you know, they can't every, party to get the fate. Every, every hero deserves to fight a dragon at some point. Yeah, like I said, I, 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 I like them to be a rare uh, a rare species, though, in the world, you know. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, you don't want this to just be an uncommon encounter. Like, oh, no, there's a basilisk and a dragon, you know. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, just the, the nature of a dragon, like, they would, just like most things in nature will, will there's only going to be so many of them because they can only... They can only eat so, you know, they can only support yeah. so much. There's so only so many apex predators. Yeah, they're just going to, you know, they there can't be too many. They just can't. It's impossible. Yeah, I'll throw another idea out there for you based on uh, based on uh, dinosaurs, actually. So they're studying the T-Rex, and we actually have a lot of, like, young T-Rex skeletons. And what they're finding is that young T-Rexes are actually not at all like the adult T-Rexes. They're built more like uh, Deionychus. Or like what like raptors were in Jurassic Park, although that's not where right. raptors were. So they they're they're starting. So paleontologists are starting to theorize that a Tyrannosaurus Rex, when it was young, was more of a running pack hunter. It was more of like a small to medium sized dinosaur, until it got older, and then not many of them grew up because at that point there are they're, they're also prey food. Yeah. But then a few of them grow up to be the giant Tyrannosaurus Rexes that we know. You could have dragons like that. You could be like, yeah, the wormlings are all over the place. But the ancient worms, no, there's only like three or four of them across the entire world. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So those are more ideas. I think we gave, there's a lot of ideas there. Probably you can use dragons in your campaign. <laughs> Guys, I had a great time talking about it with you. 
uh, everyone at home, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Three Wise DMs. This was our own. This was this was our own passion topic, or my own passion topic, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. But a lot of our topics come from readers like you. So if you have something you'd like to hear us talk about, please send it in to threewisedms at gmail.com. Go to our website, threewisedms.com, and enter in the What's Your Problem field, or talk to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We're very active on all those sites, and we'll get your message and see if we can get it on the air. Also, if you're listening to this on your podcast platform, please give us five stars. If you like what you're hearing, it really helps us increase our reach. Review it if you can. You know, Tell folks you like it. We've been growing by leaps and bounds. That's all because of you. Thank you very much. That's it for this week. We'll see you next time on Free Wise DMs. Thank you.